Good evening. You are tuned into the Ecology Hour now at 7pm and I will be your host this evening, Hannah Bird. Well, every Ecology Hour, I think, gives me a great opportunity to hear from some of the wonderful scientists in our area or studying issues which are of importance to our area. And this evening is certainly no exception. I had the pleasure for tonight's interviews to have a conversation with Dr. Mike Jones, who is the UC Cooperative Extension Forestry Advisor for Lake Mendocino and Sonoma counties. That's a huge job and it was a great chance to speak with Dr Jones a little more about just how our forest management practices can help us to make a landscape which is both a little more fire resilient and also to create healthy forest ecosystems. It's a difficult balance to strike, but Dr Jones helped us consider all of the aspects of that conversation For the first part of the interview, we spent some time in the office considering some of the main issues that are important for Lake Mendocino and Sonoma County forests. After that, we actually got outside into the field a little at the UC Hopland Research and Extension Centre to consider some of the areas that were burned in the river fire and to think about regeneration following the fire. You will notice that in our period outside in the field, there was a little bit of wind and I apologise for the effect on the recording, but I think you still get to hear the majority of the interview. Well, let's get started. I began by asking Mike how long he's been in the position and what led him there. Sure. Uh, Let's do the math. I think six months now, maybe a little bit over six months. Um, I came here because... uh, it was kind of fortuitous. I'm, I'm from Sonoma, the town of our originally, uh-huh. and so I grew up in the area. Um, went to UC Davis, and then I was out in the Northeast for the last five years doing oh, wow. graduate school. Uh, I met my wife in in LA area where I was working for the Forest Service. She came with me back east and hated it, and so <laughs> I had a couple options for getting a job, which all were in Northern California. Uh-huh. So. This position came up. It was where we wanted to be. It was kind of within my interest, and mm-hmm. I just kind of applied on a whim, and it worked out perfect. So it's kind of coming home for you, but yeah. now you've gathered this experience from right across the states, yeah. really. Really experienced different um, forest community, completely different kind of ecology. That was, that was wow. a really cool experience. Yeah. But it's good to be back. I really like, I like it here. Good. A little bit more diverse and interesting than the Northeast kind of mixed hardwood forests. Which which is which I'd love to talk a little bit more about. Yeah. Um, so maybe that that's where we go now. Um, when we talk about forests, I think we tend to imagine <laughs> often kind of coniferous areas, yeah. right? Red Sierras. Yeah. And and yet what we have here, this oak woodland, in many places. And so yeah. tell me, what are our forests? What means what yeah. makes a forest, and what are our ones? I mean, in this it, area? it could be it could. Depend on it depends on who you ask. Mm-hmm. I w- I would imagine, mm-hmm. but from my perspective, and I should, I should uh, I should add a little caveat here. I'm an entomologist by training. I'm not like a forester, but I've been working in forest entomology, forest pest management, integrated pest management my entire career. So, I, I bring a unique perspective to forestry. Um, but really, if there's trees, it's a forest. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter how many trees, right? We have urban forests. 
there's not a lot of trees in the urban forest, but it's still an urban forest because there's canopy, because there's trees. Huh, so tell me, explain what an urban forest is. I've never even heard that. So the urban forest is if you go into Ukiah or any town and there's trees growing along the sides of roads and people's yards and open spaces, that's an urban forest. How cool. Yeah, and it's it's a very, it's its own, it's its own individual kind of ecosystem and it has its own research and there's people who specialize in urban forestry you think about stressors that you know impact the forest think about the drought issues that we're having in the Sierras and all the mortality from the lack of water Mm -hmm. well compound that with issues that occur in urban forests pollution compaction people hacking on the tree because they want to for some reason all these the human influence and the human factor it it kind of makes it for a really interesting yeah and yeah dynamic there's a huge value in those urban forests too. There's because... tons and tons of unrecognized mm. health and financial mm. impacts from urban forests. So trees in your yards and your community increases property value. And there's tons and tons and tons of research that suggests that people who live in cities and communities with lots of trees are healthier. How it reduces impacts on health, on heart, on your heart health. Huh. It um, it cleans the air a little bit, you know, so it helps mm-hmm. create cleaner air. Mm-hmm. The shade is a place where people gather and they use those resources. So they go to parks and they hang out and picnic tables under mm-hmm. trees. Mm-hmm. They provide a huge valuable resource to people mm-hmm. that most people don't recognize until you're in a situation like on the East Coast or in Southern California where we have invasive insects killing the trees. And all of a sudden, you know, you cut down all the trees in a street row or in people's yards and all of a sudden they're fully exposed to the sun. Yeah. And it's changed everything about their, their neighborhood. Wow, that's fascinating. So I, I think one thing I've been noticing is that there has been a little bit of a change in attitude about trees in the last few years with catastrophic wildfire mm-hmm. in these areas. Um, obviously, we've had that. We've had wildfire mm-hmm. forever in California, but yeah. obviously we've had some very serious ones the last few years that affect lots of people. Yeah. And I feel like there's just been a change in attitude to a little bit towards trees are bad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and forest management becoming something which is much people have people have um, opinions on. Everybody has yeah. an opinion now. Yeah. So I don't want to get us too bogged down yeah. in that, but am I allowed to bring up the whole forest raking yeah. <laughs> conversation and just say I'm sure that there's a seed of truth in everything, right? So yeah. what what do you think we should be doing? Well, you know, it's it's a really interesting interesting question and kind of interesting time to be working on forest management you know like you said the fires that we've had in the last few years have been the most destructive and well i mean it depends on your perspective right from our perspective destructive from an ecology perspective we're kind of regenerating forests that aren't very healthy mm-hmm. um but typically wildland fires or wildfires have been in remote areas where trees burn down there's some smoke a few houses are burnt down mm-hmm people don't really connect or associate that with their own homes and communities. But these these last series of fires have been in heavily populated areas and have had really big impacts on the community and so it's changed people's perception. They've mm-hmm. realized they're not immune from mm-hmm. these wildland fires anymore and that they can have an impact. Mm-hmm. Um, so it creates an interesting management objective is that how do we manage our forests and for what purpose are we managing to make communities more fire resilient? And so that's an interesting thing too, is that the reason why not by itself, but one of the reasons why fires have appeared to become more destructive is that we as, as communities of, of people have 
pushed further into the wildland urban interface or the WUI. We're mm -hmm. moving further and further in the woods mm -hmm. and we want to be in these heavily forested areas, mm -hmm. but these forests are in the California forests are adapted to burn. Mm -hmm. And so if we don't manage them appropriately, these fires are going to happen mm -hmm. and um, and am I right? Am I right in saying that there was kind of a period when perhaps we were spreading out into those areas where the management strategy was with just when we're not going to have fires in mind? Yeah, like we're just going to stop that and then we'll feel safe and we'll be okay. Yeah, and that and we're now kind of seeing how that's not working. Yeah, so we've had about a hundred years of of smoking the bear and fire suppression, mm -hmm. and it's really changed the structure of the forests. Mm -hmm. And they're overgrown and less vigorous, and there's lots of dead fuels accumulating on the forest floor and what we call ladder fuels that help carry these fires up in the canopy and mm -hmm. create these kind of big fire events that we're seeing. Um, and so that's really kind of gotten us to where we are. But it doesn't help that we're moving into those areas and building homes and communities as well. Mm -hmm. If you look at a lot of the big fires that have happened in the last few years, they have similar footprints to fires that went through 50 years ago. So it's not like these are areas that haven't burned before. We're seeing that they're burning. The same areas are burning over and over again. The only thing that's changed is that we're now there instead mm -hmm. of just a wild land, a wild area. It's now a wooey. Yeah. So that's the big challenge. And then everybody now has an opinion on how to manage it, and then and everybody has different interests. And so that has to be something that we, you know, respect as for in forest management. But at the same time, we got to try to do what's right, and that's not always going to make people happy. And so. Mm -hmm. It's so it's interesting it's interesting challenge. where we started this because I'm really seeing more so now this this balance right between on one hand what you started off by saying about these urban forests mm -hmm. and the value of trees mm -hmm. on our mental health on mm -hmm. our physical health so many things that are beneficial for us um, and then this other side where we kind of suddenly feel we're living in these wooies partly because of the beauty mm -hmm. and what it brings to us yeah but now we're recognizing this other factor um, and the fear associated with mm -hmm. that and how do you live in a wooey but not feel like you are in a living in a really high risk area and and that's a really difficult balance to strike right? yeah to come up yeah. with a, a system no. i think if you're going to live in the wild and urban face you have to recognize the fact that you're in a high risk area mm -hmm. and that you are likely to experience fire mm -hmm. and you have to manage however you see best fit i mean i think there's lots of data and literature out there that suggests you know the best way to mm -hmm. to kind of manage your home and property to kind of make it more fire resilient but mm -hmm. I mean, yeah who there's knows? only so much who really knows that yeah oh, yeah yeah where anybody can do and i think that's yeah. why we're using terms like fire resilience now yeah. rather than necessarily fire safe right that there is so much you can do yeah and but even that has yeah. some limitations you can't ever be in a situation where you could say completely 100 percent right there's no way right right unless you cut every tree down and pave mm -hmm. it with asphalt yeah 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 um and another interesting thing that you mentioned was how people are blaming trees on this so for example a good one that kind of comes up is that we have a lot of oak woodlands they're kind of unique habitats they're very interesting habitats but in part because of fire suppression efforts we have a lot of dug fir encroachment which mm -hmm. means the dug fir are kind of moving into these forest types and replacing the oaks and and some some people are, are you know some sometimes you hear stories about people saying oh the dug fir are the reason why the fires are getting worse because there's more dug fir than there's ever been mm -hmm. and it's not i think that's completely inappropriate it's not fair to blame a particular tree species on why fires are getting worse it's right. a very complex issue and of course we recommend like obviously you don't want to have 
bunch of conifers right against your house, they are pitchy. They do burn really well. Mm-hmm. But you can't blame individual tree species on why the fires are getting worse. And mm-hmm. so I think that's not a fair assessment. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just think that's the way people are rationalizing what's happening. I think we all want to have something. It they would be nice if there was answer. one yeah. simple factor that we could say. If we if we got rid of that, yeah. we wouldn't have this problem. But it's way more complicated. Yeah. And then you bring in climate change and, and future scenarios, predictions. Yeah. And for... So I, I you know, as an entomologist, I usually try... Uh, typically perceive things from ecology perspective but mm-hmm. you know my job is to work with production forestry too and that's mm-hmm. a big industry in Mendocino County and that's mm-hmm. I mean everybody needs wood yeah. we yeah. all live in houses made of wood we mm-hmm. need the we need the industry mm-hmm. and that that's mm-hmm. maybe there are types of maybe silviculture and forest management practices that production foresters have isn't ideal for a lot of people but they are managing the forest and they are selecting species that have value and mm-hmm. yeah so I know it's contentious, but I mean, it's an important part of forest management. Mm-hmm. That brings me back. So I know we went straight into one of the yeah. big, huge issues that I'm yeah. sure you're spending a lot of time considering, mm-hmm. but um, I'm also interested in other things that perhaps aren't so publicly in, in the public knowledge. Um, so what other issues are, are, are you seeing in our forests? You've talked about healthy forests and even, I know even expressing what, what exactly a healthy forest is yeah. might vary from group yeah. to group, but so you know the forest service does a really they have a really great program um on developing forest health maps they do aerial detection surveys and they go out and truth these areas and really figure out what's going on if it's drought related if insect disease related but it's really specific to the sierras so where they own land really they're it's on national forest land and and federal land and so they've they've completely underestimated or missed a lot of the issues that are occurring in oak woodlands and coastal forests so mm-hmm. for example we have conifer hardwood mixed forests along the coast mm-hmm. and they are um well they're having a rough time right now mm-hmm. and nobody really has looked at it in much detail what kind of a rough time so if you um you know bishop pine which mm-hmm. is kind of a an, a um charismatic or you know well-known species in these mm-hmm. coastal conifer forests they're in decline across the entire range and within those forests you have grand fir and grand fir is in decline because of an invasive insect called balsam woolly adelgid you have tan oak in these stands as well tan oak's in decline because of sudden oak death you have redwood redwood is still doing fine uh you have doug fir doug fir is still okay but you do have issues with doug fir as well Mm -hmm. and so you have these kind of landscape level decline events and you don't really have any we don't know what to do. Hmm. We don't know what the, all the factors are involved. We don't know what is driving this event. We don't know why our bishop forest, mm-hmm. bishop pine forests are in decline or what to do about it. So mm-hmm. it's something that that we're, we're looking at that I'm doing a lot of work on as mm-hmm. part of my research program is to understand what's mm-hmm. happening in these forests. And with your um, integrated pest management hat on, which is, yeah. sounds like something that you'll have a huge amount of knowledge yeah. on, that sounds like a really good layer to bring to this, right? Yeah. Or frequently, are we talking about how much does change in climate and then change in where potential pest species may be spreading to come into? Yeah, this? I think I think that's a, a really important um, aspect of forest management to consider 
you know, it's not a driving priority currently, but it's definitely something that you have to consider in long-term management plans. Okay. Like you have to understand that conditions aren't changing and it's going to change the relationships of the mm-hmm. plants and insects and their diseases. But we're still trying to figure out what's happening now. What's, why, is it all climate change that's driving these change or is it because of poor forest management practices? Is it because mm-hmm. we've suppressed fire in these systems? Is mm-hmm. it because we've introduced new insect pests and diseases? Mm-hmm. What's, we don't know. And we don't know, you know, the whole picture yet. So we're trying to figure that out. But mm-hmm. I mean, climate change is definitely an important long-term impact. But mm-hmm. There's more immediate <laughs> concerns like we're, things are getting, are changing a lot faster than because of climate change. Yeah. Something's going on that Maybe there's old forests and they're just in decline and huh. they're not being replaced because of something. Yeah, which is, I mean, I know it's one thing we see on this site a lot with the oak woodland, mostly yeah. here, is that um, we have a lot of aging oaks yeah. and not a huge amount of new ones that look like they're successfully no. coming along. And I mean, that'll, that'll be interesting to see now we've had um, about 3,000 acres of the 5,000 acres yeah. here burned in the river fire in July last year. Um, and you've already taken a look um, yeah. a little bit at what's going out there. And in fact, a little later in the interview, we'll go out and, sure. and see what the situation is. But that's the same with Oak Woodland, right? We're still we're seeing that there's not so much regeneration going yeah. on. And do we really have a good sense of why that is? I mean, no. There's a lot. Of, again, it's always a complicated issue. Fire in part, you know, Oak Woodland's, you know, historically these these kinds of forests have, have burned. Mm-hmm. A lot of it has been through human management, right? The Native Americans have been burning these forests for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's been lightning fires and things like that have also been natural events that are really helpful. And not only I talked about dug fir encroachment, but they help suppress dug fir encroachment, these fires do. But they also scarify the soil and reduce competition under these oak trees, which allows natural regeneration to occur. And when you get really intense stand replacement fires like we're experiencing these days, Oaks are really good sprouters, and so even though you have above ground mortality of an oak tree, uh-huh. it will immediately start sprouting from the stumps, oh, and that's so that's exciting. a really important source of regeneration. Huh. This is a fire adaptation, right? Yeah, this, this is, is a fire adapted forest in. system. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, you know we're in we're in oak woodlands, but you know these conifer systems I'm talking about are also they're called closed coned forests because they need fire. Fire is an important part of their regenerative cycle. Their rotness, which means that their cones are closed. And they need heat to open them up so they can disperse seed. I find that just yeah, fascinating. It's really and cool. Yesterday, I had the luck to spend a few hours with you and working with about a thousand kids in yeah. Lake County. Yeah. Um, and you had some awesome cones of yeah. different trees. So I knew that the knob cone mm-hmm. pine is serotonous and mm-hmm. needs fire to mm-hmm. open it up. Or do we have other pines? Bishop there? pine is, is serotonous. Oh, and so we see in areas on the coast that. Um, you know, particularly in the pygmy forest. And so they had fires too. They've had, this is like we have, maybe they're not as intense because of the climate, mm-hmm. but the, those forests are fire adapted. Historically, they have burned, maybe not as intensely as more inland mm-hmm. inland systems. But we've seen areas that um, have burned recently. There's lots and lots of bishop pine regeneration. Gosh. And so that appears to be a really important factor in what's what's happening there. It's not, by, it's not a, the only issue, but yeah. it definitely seems like returning fire to these systems in a controlled manner uh-huh. is uh, really important for the health. So what we are seeing right now and the ways that we are perhaps responding and considering more prescribed burns mm-hmm. may be a really positive thing for the, yeah. for the health of our it's, forests. It's almost like the enlightenment of forestry, right? We're really starting to rethink 
how we've been doing it because mm-hmm. we realized that forest the forest management practices that we've had for the last hundred years hasn't been doing it. Oh. We haven't these forests just because the forest is green doesn't mean it's healthy. Which is what most of us think. Right. Just because think... you see a bunch of green trees doesn't mean that they're healthy trees. Mm. There, these a lot of these stands are overstocked. There's too many trees in these in these stands. There's limited resources. There's limited amount of light that can penetrate through the canopy. There's a lim- limited amount of macro and micronutrients. There's a limited amount of water available, especially mm-hmm. in inland areas where it dries out in the summer. Mm-hmm. And when you have high densities of trees competing mm-hmm. for the same amount of resources, they just don't do as well. Mm-hmm. And so thinning these stands back, which is what fire would have done historically, is that it kind of kills the weaker trees, the smaller generation, thins mm-hmm. out the stand. And of course, insects and disease have an important role in that as well. But when you suppress these natural disturbances that help regenerate and create healthy forests, uh, you get what we're stuck with today, which are these overstocked, kind of yeah. sickly forests that aren't yeah. very productive. Huh. Gosh, it must be an interesting um, area to be working in right now, because I, th- I mean, I mentioned that I, I don't think that in public media there's ever been in my lifetime such interest in forestry, right? Yeah. I mean, yes, there's been um, concerns over the redwoods and the redwood kind of yeah. um, period of, of, of a lot of protesters wanting to mm-hmm. see those trees saved, which mm-hmm. makes much, much sense for many people. Mm-hmm. Um, but right now it seems like it's right across society that we're kind of interested in this, you know, that we have a... So it must be a fascinating time for you to yeah. be working in this. No, it's, a, it's interesting that you, there is a lot more community involvement, but is people still aren't in agreement on how to how to do the work or how to do the management at, at the academic level at any level <laughs> well at the academic level we i think we're pretty solid we kind of know there's new issues arising forest structures aren't like they've been in the past and so we're kind of dealing with new issues mm-hmm. but from a management perspective we all know what from a foresters from a forest entomologist pathogens we know what we need to do to make healthy forests, and that's to thin them out. Right. We really need to thin down the tree densities. Huh. And not everybody agrees with that. And so when you get when you say that everybody's invested and interested in mm-hmm. forest management, it's from a fire perspective. Mm-hmm. It's about let's try to prevent mm-hmm. these huge fires from getting into these communities. Mm-hmm. It doesn't address the overarching issue, which is that forest health is in decline. Yeah. Is that the forests are not healthy. Yeah. If you create more healthy resilient forests you will address a lot of these issues you'll address the pest issues you'll address Mm. the drought mortality Mm. issues you'll address some of these fire issues because we're also talking about not just the the health of the trees when you're talking about healthy forests you're talking about the ecology of the whole forest so again when we look at a forest and we think oh look that looks good it looks green that Mm -hmm. looks healthy Mm -hmm. what we're missing is perhaps the whole ecosystem which is uh, surrounds that as well so what other areas are we seeing um are there other species that we're seeing particularly impacted that aren't the trees themselves well this is this is contentious because this is where you get into issues with forest production is that we have endangered species that use the forests and one of the reasons people don't like logging is because it it can have an impact Mm. on these species. But Mm. if forestry is done, if you're a good forest stewardship and you're a responsible Mm. forester, Mm. the impacts are minimized. Mm. And Mm. really the long-term benefits are are greater than the short-term impact of the actual Mm. management activity. Mm. But there's a lot of species, the spot, Northern spotted owl, California Mm. spotted owl now, there's some frog species, some some, um, amphibians. Mm. Insects are potentially at risks that... 
you know, really impacts the ability to get out and manage these forests effectively. Hmm. That's really interesting. But, and that's my perspective, though, if you ask somebody else or somebody who has a different opinion, they would say, no, mm-hmm. you know, their only reason they're being impacted is because we're in there cutting trees down. Uh-huh. And so it's a very contentious and yeah. interesting yeah. thing that we're trying to figure out how to handle, right? Yeah. Like, obviously, we want to cut down all the trees and kill all the, the species mm-hmm. that use the forest, mm-hmm. but... Mm-hmm. These forest conditions have been changed drastically over the last hundred years, and it's not sustainable mm-hmm. with their current conditions. Mm-mm. So we have to figure out how to find that equilibrium, that balance, and um, and finding it is one thing. And then there's this other challenge that there is a huge area that, and there's many private landowners yeah. who are who own these areas. Mm-hmm. So then communicating that message and mm-hmm. getting everybody to make some agreement. Well, I'm very glad it's yeah. you doing this job. Yeah. Me. That's all I can say. I mean, it, we tr- you know, you approach it as, uh, for, from my perspective, uh, you know, as my goal is to help people be good stewards of their land, right? I'm not mm-hmm. trying to get you to subscribe to one type of forest management over another. Mm-hmm. I want to provide you the information to help the landowner make good decisions. So when we talk about forest stewardship, we talk about creating sustainable forests that uh, continue on in the future for future generation use, right? That you can either extract resources from or enjoy the benefit mm-hmm. of. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, forest management doesn't have to just be production forestry. You don't have to log and collect redwood and dug fir and timber species out of there, right? You can manage for conservation. You can manage for aesthetics, maybe just like the way your forest looks. Mm-hmm. You can manage for recreation. There's mm-hmm. all kinds of different approaches that you can use that you can create these more sustainable healthy forests mm. yeah things like terms like forest bathing as an activity that people go and do now right yeah I mean, this is recognizing this value of yeah. the forest from that recreational yeah. point of view yeah that's that's really interesting so before we head out into the field sure. um you mentioned that you are there as a resource for people yeah you spread this huge area so i'm kind of interested what kinds of situations would you encourage people to contact you? You know, how, what's the best process and what kinds of things could you help people with? Yeah, so I, like we were talking about earlier, I have three counties and they're all have their own issues. So let's just, I'll just want to talk about that a little bit for a minute yeah, because please. it affects the way people need help or how I approach helping those communities. Mendocino County is a large county. It's had some big fires in the last few years. It also has a huge... Uh, like a legacy yeah legacy but also still it's a big part of the economy is forestry Mm -hmm. right there's some companies own a lot there's a lot of private land forested land in the county and it's a still pretty big um um, job creator and source of of of, uh, uh economy and so you know people here have a little bit of a different perspective than other counties because there are a lot of the landowners are actively forest managing their land and and either harvesting or Mm -hmm. fire management and so I, it's a different challenge here. Most people here are more concerned about policy and forest practice rules and kind of working within the regulation and the laws to get the management done on their land, right? So, you know, let's manage our land, but make sure we're not violating the laws and everybody's happy at the end of the day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Lake County is an interesting perspective. Lake County in the last five years, over 70% of the county has been impacted by wildfires. Wow. And so they've had a really rough time. And a lot of people in those counties are really interested in restoration. And so they want to know, let's, you know, replant the forests. Let's clean up the land and get the landscape back to a healthy condition. And so, um, and the people that haven't been affected by the fires are really concerned about being ready for the fire when it does come. Because presumably they're Mm -hmm. concerned 
and and it makes sense that they're next. Yeah. So um, they're really interested in fire resiliency and prescribed burning and, and fuels reduction and, and restoration. And then Sonoma County's is a really tricky one. Sonoma County was definitely impacted very heavily in the in the communities uh, a few years ago from those Thomas and Tubbs fires. Um, and so they're looking at restoration and recovering, but they also, you know, the areas that burned were pretty, were oak woodlands that were very heavily forested, but most of the forests in Sonoma County are the west coast, they're towards the coast, and those areas haven't burned yet. And there's a lot of landowners, a lot of small landowners that, you know, it's economical if you're a large landowner to manage your land, but it gets really expensive if you're a small landowner, and so they're really concerned about actually getting the work done, getting the fuels reduction work done, managing for fire. Mm-hmm. And it's tough there because they don't really have an infrastructure, right? Mendocino County has a legacy of logging and forestry, and so we have the infrastructure. There's a, huh. there's the, the trained professionals who can actually go out. You know, there's the foresters, there's the op- timber operators, and there's the mills and the, mm-hmm. the equipment to get it done. Sonoma County doesn't have any of that, mm-hmm. and so, they're struggling on on trying to figure out. All right, well, we can get everybody at the table, but how do we actually get the work done? Wow. And so that's their struggle. Yeah. So everybody has their own issues. Um, and so where my position is, is my clientele base, if you will, are the landowners and land managers. And anybody who wants help or is interested in managing the land, they can come to me. We have fantastic resource, UC, A&R, the parent group, mm-hmm. or parent, uh, um, the vision of the mm-hmm. UC system that is Cooperative Extension, has a lot of fantastic literature available online um, about managing our forest. Mm -hmm. There's a 25-part forest stewardship series that talks about everything from what we've been talking about. What is a forest? All the way down to policy, regulation, hiring professionals, and what, you know, healthy forests are. Now, is that available online? Oh, yeah. So that's something I can add at the end of this interview? You can, yeah. (laughs) There's just a forestry website, and it has amazing resources, um, not just about forest stewardship, but about wildfire and um, wildlife and water quality issues and streams and roads and all kinds of stuff. Anything that you can think of that mm-hmm. that is uh, part of a forested system is, is available through this Excellent. website. So it's a very valuable resource that I direct a lot of people to. And there's a lot of resources through CAL FIRE and um, you know, there's a large body of literature mm-hmm. that's been looking at you know, different types of forest management, efficacy, and, mm-hmm. and forest practice and all that kind of The time is 7.30 and you are listening to The Ecology Hour on KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. We are having a conversation with Dr. Mike Jones, who is the Forestry Advisor for Lake Mendocino and Sonoma Counties through the University of California Cooperative Extension. If somebody had a question that they really wanted to put directly to you, yeah, is there a good way for them to contact you? Yeah, or they should can, they get in contact just with their local cooperative extension? They can stuff? go on the cooperative extension website for each county, and my contact info is there, or we can give it out if you want now. Okay, so my email is mjones at ucanr.edu, and you can email me with any questions. I do a lot of – I don't just work um, – with forested landowners and managers, I try to work with communities. So, for example, I'm giving a talk tomorrow in Lake County about home hardening and defensible space. So I do a lot of outreach and talk to the community about forestry and 
And a lot of people, um, I would say a lot of people are, are well-educated on forestry and they understand that it's complex and that, you know, we need wood as a product. And so forestry does, you know, logging is the thing that needs to happen. Um, and they know we're being responsible about it, right? We're not mm -hmm. just going out and clear cutting. I mean, technically private landowners could cut down all the trees and there's nothing to stop them because that's their right. Huh. Right. But they're responsible. They're being responsible landowners and, yeah. and they're trying to get sustainable, healthy forests that yeah. are good for them too, because that means that there's a source of income for them through the future. Mm -hmm. So I think most people are aware that the, that the industry is pretty responsible and that, um, you know, we're not out there to destroy the forests. No, um, and it's really interesting yeah. to hear, and it's really nice to hear, actually, you talking about how Mendocino County, this, <laughs> excuse me, this legacy of logging mm -hmm. means that we do have people who are, um, and the infrastructure to help us now at a point when we realize that actually thinning needs to take place. Yeah. And, um, do you know, I think that's a good thing for us to recognize. You know, I feel like too often we have just this very simple, simplified kind of, well, um, uh, all logging is bad, yeah. <laughs> even though we're probably using many of those products yeah. in our homes and around our homes. Yeah. And um, I, maybe the situation that we're coming to now is kind of a more recognition of how we all need to just um, come a little bit more to the middle. I would say that it, from my perspective, it seems like a lot of the communities there that mm -hmm. we're all like, okay, we may not always agree, mm -hmm. but I think everybody realizes the need of managing forests differently and sometimes that means you know adjusting your perspective and willing to compromise with people who have different objectives mm -hmm. of course that being said there's always mm -hmm. groups that mm -hmm. have their own opinions and will always decide what they think is best yeah. and um, and sometimes it takes those those folks on the edges as well to help guide us it helps right? guide but it's it i does. realize we, we might we, i'm trying to make it sound as if it's simple and of course it's yeah <laughs> it's very complex but yeah no there's their input from every group helps inform mm -hmm. the decision mm -hmm. and you know that's important because you don't want to create policy or regulation or rules or practices that are based off of one perception mm -hmm. and then have you know everybody well that's not right or you know we want everybody to have input so that we can come to a, a, yeah. a cooperative agreement that mm -hmm. that really that really is best. It's not for us, it's for the forest, mm -hmm. which does impact us, but yeah. really yeah. we want to be better stewards of our land. Yeah. Excellent. That seems like a good point for us to um, head out into the field sure. for a wee bit. That would be okay with you? Yeah. Excellent. Okay, Mike and I are out in the field looking in one of the areas that did burn in the river fire in July of 2018. Um, and Mike, you've visited this area a few times now. Yeah. How do you think, how's it looking now? Do you want to describe to us what we're seeing? I mean, uh, you know, you can barely tell it's burned. This was a low intensity. So this is the, this is the blue oak dominated woodland. It's got bay and some interior and uh, buckeye, California buckeye. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think about that one. But really the only, only way that you can tell that it burned is there's one burned out tree in front of us looks like it was a madrone do they burn more easily because it is bizarre do. i mean we're looking at the blue oaks and you i couldn't tell at all like i can't see any mark on the trunk maybe yeah. we could go up to one of them no the, the madrone have really thin bark they're they're very um susceptible to fire but that's how they've evolved because you know they don't tolerate the fire they let themselves get the bigger trees they let themselves get burned up and then they re-sprout vigorously huh. So that's kind of their fire adaptation. Oh, I see. They have, so they are adapted. It's not that yeah, they're, they're ready. Yeah, they just have a, 
instead of having thick bark for survival, they just kind of let the above ground biomass get burnt up and then they'll re-sprout. Wow. And that one, the one that is in front of us is a relatively large tree. It looks like it burned and smoldered for a long time and came down. So that one might have already had a, a cavity from a previous fire, been injured, is why it was more susceptible. Uh -huh. So that's something I find interesting. We um, So trees with cavities in them could be more susceptible. On the other hand, I remember from uh, Greg Giusti, who was the forestry advisor of this area before you were, mm -hmm. um, he also was looking at how important tree cavities mm -hmm. are for all the species that rely yeah. on them, like turkey vultures yep. that might use to nest in them. So. It's not necessarily a situation where we can say, oh, all trees with cavities, no. too dangerous, get them out of here. No, you, you never know. Sometimes there's redwoods and oaks that have cavities, but they're really well healed over and the trees, the fire doesn't really establish. There could have been, that could have been stressed out from drought. There could have been lots of different issues that might have caused mm -hmm. that tree to be more susceptible. Mm -hmm. But you can see that it burned out and then just 20 feet away, there's a stand of blue oak that looked perfectly healthy. And uh, it really, you can see where the heat kind of killed it might have killed in at least some parts of those trees right there. Okay. And then there's some part on the ground where uh -huh. there might have been, you know what it might have been is there might have been downed woody debris on the ground. Mm -hmm. And so um, it just kind of smoldered here and got a little bit warmer than some of the other areas. Huh. Yeah, because it looks like this, there was a snag, there was a downed tree right here that burned. So it might have just helped carry that fire into that, that into the madrone. So one of the things that I found really fascinating is just after the fire, you know, the landscape looked totally blackened. It's mm -hmm. really interesting now to see mm -hmm. it. I mean, it's green. We're standing on this lush carpet of yeah. green. Yeah. Um, and just after the fire, when it was all blackened, what I was seeing was these imprints on the ground that looked just like kind of the shadow of a tree mm -hmm. in white, yeah. which was the ash that was yeah. from a burned tree. Yep. And those same areas where I saw those spots, which that white ash, I guess, was a, an example of something that burned pretty hot. It was just a, it was a tree that either fell over, was already coarse weed debris that had just smoldered and burned mm -hmm. until it was completely consumed mm -hmm. and now i'm still seeing and we're standing kind of next to a patch on the ground where the grass and the new lush green hasn't quite managed to make it into yeah this is probably a, as you said something was already fallen maybe here and then yep. burned so why don't i see grass growing back in that little imprint now it's literally like a shadow yeah. like a footprint of the tree yeah, that was there. it's just because it got so hot that it kind of probably had a really big impact on the soil and the seed bank in the soil and so it just killed that whatever reserves of vegetation were there obviously it's not completely devoid so it didn't like nuke it if you will like completely destroy mm -hmm. it but it definitely impacted the the regeneration which in a year you won't see this anymore because the stuff that's growing here will seed out and it'll blow in and it'll uh -huh. reseed the re, repopulate the soil because of bit. course at the time the fire happened seeding had already taken place seeding was so already it was over kind of yeah, it's yeah. Just, and it's just the fact that the tree just the whatever debris is on the ground just smolders and keeps that heat and it just cooks the soil mm -hmm. and, really well, isn't. and it could also be the ash layer this one looks uh -huh. like there's you can see the dirt through but sometimes the ash if it just you know when you have a, something that burns like that you got a couple inch thick ash layer it could just kind of smother what's under yeah. it too um so there's lots of different things that cause that but you can see there's lots of charcoal and there's some yeah. soil so it probably just cooked it and, uh, so I guess one of the things that also happens here is it's got this little um, space and so for all the species that are around the edges here they're probably being quite successful are they you know they haven't got anything shading them out um, is there something to be said for this, this little space here which is allowing other things around the edges to maybe benefit well I would say you know everything had a fresh start so mm. there's very little competition the first thing that came up grew the fastest mm -hmm. and and did the best what you know Here's what I kind of see when I look at that is like, yeah, it's you got edge effects. So maybe these 
these forbs and grasses coming up on the edge might have a little bit less competition. But what you have here is a disturbed area that might, you know, say you had an area where you had lots of invasive species. This would facilitate the invasion of, uh. of a new plant species, right? So maybe, for example, if we had broom here, which we don't in this area of the, of mm -hmm. the rec of the center, site, yeah. thank God. There's nothing there. It'd be a perfect area if wind blew some broom seeds in there and all of a sudden now you have a little broom patch. So post-fire, we often talk about how beneficial it is for native species mm -hmm. that are adapted to fire, but you're also seeing challenges for the movement of um, invasive species, right? Yeah, invasive species are invasive species because they're really good competitors and they take advantage of disturbed sites. And even though this fire was a natural disturbance, which helps regeneration and regrowth of native vegetation, when that native vegetation is competing with invasive species, it usually most of the time loses. Hmm. That's really interesting. Yeah. Um, one of the things, and again, I don't know how much you know of this area, but I've been told that after the fire, you often have species, they're known as fire followers, that mm -hmm. um, will come in and mm -hmm. you may only see them at that period of mm -hmm. time, right? Do you, do you know of any species that perhaps we're looking at or you know of that we've seen around the site? Yeah, I'm, I'm good with my trees because I usually look up. I'm not great on my rangeland stuff, but I know that, um, I'm gonna butcher the name on this, but the painted warrior. Oh, those flowers, yeah, we've flower, seen those. Mm -hmm. Those really, really huh. like fire. That's and fascinating because so, I have spotted those up in the burned areas already. And yeah, that's, yeah that's they exciting. really, that's one that I think is a very charismatic like species that comes in after burns mm. but i see a lot of bunch grass in this kind of more depleted area those are native compared to the mm. grasses that are coming in which are all european grasses huh interesting um, so this is just one spot on our site on the area this is an area where you'd said it was didn't burn too intensely yeah there are other parts of the site where i've talked with you a wee bit about some of the oaks there mm -hmm. and um we do a study of the phenology of the oaks here mm. so we're looking at when they leaf out and yeah. when they have their acorns and all those kinds of things with an awesome group of citizen scientists volunteers so we've continued to do that in the burned areas and we were all feeling very hopeful after the burn because we continued to see um some green leaves up in the mm -hmm. top canopy some sometimes new green leaves mm -hmm. even though it was a strange time of year to see that it was mm -hmm. in the fall um and you helped me understand a wee bit better that that isn't necessarily a sign that that tree is completely healthy and going to yeah. keep going really strong. yeah if if you so these fires came through in um july and august and if you at post fire if you see new vegetation occurring in august and uh, any time the year really see what we call epicormic sprouts where you see foliage sprouting out of the main stem or the larger branches that's a sign of stress it means the the tree was stressed out maybe a lot of the foliage the leaves were destroyed and so the tree is kind of going oh boy i need to create new foliage so i can photosynthesize and, and accumulate more sugars and try to recover from this damage or just uh keep in reserve for the winter so i can leaf out and mm -hmm. keep growing next season and so when a tree starts shooting out fresh foliage from epicormic sprouts it means it's really stressed and that something's really wrong with the tree okay. and the other thing is even if the tree you know burned up and or had a lot of damage to it heat damage and maybe it was scorched and torched and it still had green foliage and you had some flushing it doesn't mean that the tree is physiologically healthy or alive huh. it means that there's reserves in the tissues in the canopy and the branches and twigs that it's putting into new foliage production but it doesn't mean that the roots or the shoots are in communication with each other mm. and so if you have really intense um, scorching at the base of a tree it could really affect called mm -hmm. the cambium which is the layer of tissue where new cell division occurs but also where a lot of nutrient transportation occurs and if that area is dead the tree is really not going to recover from mm. that so you know i've read in the literature that you could have trees leaf out and produce foliage for 
almost a decade after a really intense burn, but physiologically they're, they're dead. Wow. They're just kind of living off their reserves and they just can't survive. Gosh, that's fascinating. Now from a forest management point of view, is it best to be taking those trees out or? I mean, it. this is where you do risk hazard management and mm -hmm. you decide if that tree near a structure or somewhere where it could cause harm to people. Mm -hmm. In a in an open area like this, no, you leave them. It's not worth it because they're still providing habitat. They're right? still providing habitat. They become a snag or something, mm -hmm. like you said. And mm -hmm. before we're talking about how cavities and trees create wildlife habitat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really important wildlife. Mm -hmm. And that tree will eventually come down and open up the canopy, and maybe it'll be new oak regeneration or it'll mm -hmm. stump sprout. Mm -hmm. So it's not necessary to remove those trees. Mm -hmm. Only if they present a hazard, like they might fall on a road or mm -hmm. people or. Structure. I guess it's again, it's me bringing this kind of anthropomorphizing into thinking oh you say that tree's dead oh well we should yeah. get rid of it right right but in fact sometimes the the process of a dying tree is still very valuable right and sometimes a tree can be kind of dying for a super long time and yeah. it's still super useful for the, the yeah. ecosystem exactly there. and it yeah. just because it's dying doesn't mean it doesn't have a function yeah yeah, yeah. No, and i really... mean that think about it if we weren't here just we weren't here to interfere with the processes mm. it'd be a natural cycle yeah. the tree would be stressed out or survive or it wouldn't and then mm. eventually it would decay or decline and then decay and it, that whole process it creates resources for mm -hmm. different parts of the ecosystem mm -hmm. so so one thing i know you've done with um some students who've come out here is when you've looked at some of the oaks and tried to understand if they are going to you know be really healthy and keep yeah. going you've done some kind of a and I apologies for my lack of the terminology but some kind of you take a core to understand what yeah, do you we're, do when you do that we're just I was just showing the kids tree coring and and really what it is you take a small auger and just take a small plug out of the tree and you can look at the rings the mm -hmm. tree rings so indicating growth and you can kind of you can estimate age you can also look at um, history of growth based uh, as influenced by climate or sometimes mm -hmm. in conifers, they can pick up uh, insect damage. Mm -hmm. So these cyclical outbreaks of defoliators, and they can see that in the growth patterns. Mm -hmm. um, and on redwoods and some of the bigger trees that have had lots of fire history, you can actually take a core from lower down on the tree and see burn scars wow. and look at burn, but the burn history and the burn return and roll cycles. Yeah. So yeah. I was just kind of showing them that, you know, we can take a core and look at this tree and try go to estimate time, age right? and go yeah. back in time. and. Yeah. These trees are all, it's an even age stand. Um, really, these blue oaks are really dense, dense growth rings. Why do you think um, this is an even age stand? What? Yeah, so this was all, um, probably a fire came through here 50, 600 years ago, maybe. Huh. Um, I know this is a really important anthropological site. And so the Native Americans use this area a lot as a, as a route. So I'm sure they were burning here. I wouldn't be surprised. Huh. And then it, more recent history was the grazed land. And so you have to assume that if it was intensely grazed that the 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 um, sheep or the cattle were probably sheep, right? It was mm -hmm. all sheep. Mm -hmm. But they were eating a lot of the oak regeneration. So these were here all, they came up all at the same time. They're all roughly mm -hmm. the same size. Mm -hmm. And so I would say they're all even age stands. Mm -hmm. um, That's bringing briefly in the conversation about grazing, which uh, now has been uh, one that people have been really interested in. Yeah. Um, and so there's two things you mentioned there. One is that, um, it's an even age stand and they're fairly, I don't know, they're not that close together here. Do you think this looks fairly sort of healthy, would you say? Well, I would say based on the fact that it burned and mm -hmm. a lot of the trees survived means this is yeah. probably a pretty healthy stand. Yeah. But I, on the other hand, you also pointed out that because we've had grazing here, it has meant that there hasn't been new recruitment of young oaks. We're not seeing young oaks in here too. Yeah. So, so grazing can be a really good thing for fuel reduction. Yep. 
but also it has to be managed very carefully right for yeah. the health of a, a forest i think if you're if you're worried about fire and fuel loads grazing is a really important tool but if you're looking at ecological restoration of the stand you can't, can't really use grazing mm -hmm. so when i talk to to landowners land managers i always kind of suggest hey you know let's look at grazing as option really close to your structures let's have part of that defensible space being maintained by grazing there's no reason why you can't have a portable fence at 100 foot around your structure around your home or your barn yeah. And then don't graze really if you can help it if you don't need to in, in a, a lot of the other areas of your land to help mm. regeneration, natural mm -hmm. regeneration. So mm. I think it's an important tool, but yeah, it has to be used you know carefully and wisely. Yeah, yeah. Gosh, it's amazing just coming to this one spot with you. One of the things I love about my job here is that I get to go and see the site with, and I see it through different eyes with every yeah. person I come out with. And I've, you know, it's one little spot that we're just standing in, and now I'm learning all these things. Yeah. Is there anything else that as you look across this that you? see and you know could share with our listeners well i mean i just uh, this stand i think it's a beautiful stand mm -hmm. i mean i'm really looking forward to seeing it you know leaf out and mm -hmm. when we get the canopy back mm -hmm. and you can see little bitty one foot burn marks on some of the trees but other than that you can't tell this area burned at all no now i know you've also traveled further on the site and although we won't go there today um, the other areas where you've seen that were um, more affected, I know there was an area of black oaks that was mm -hmm. quite affected. Um, what do you see for the future of those? And um, yeah, so in these kinds of stands, the fire, the oaks, you know, oaks are very, a uh, mature oak is, is, is grows in a fire adapted ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And so they're very tolerant of low intensity fire. Mm -hmm. In the areas where we had really, really intense, um, High severity. I don't, I don't want to use intense. I want to make sure I separate. It's severity okay. versus intensity. Intensity is like the actual chemistry of the burn, and its severity uh -huh. is like the kind of impact of the burn. Right. So in these areas where we had high severity burn, um, a lot of the above ground biomass was just outright. It was destroyed. It was burned up. It was, the trees were killed. Mm -hmm. But we're, I'm already. I was doing post um, fire surveys in last winter, and um, I was already seeing resprouting. So those trees, even though they got destroyed above ground, their root, the root systems are still intact and they're already re recovering. So it just shows you how resilient these forests, when they're left kind of on their own, mm -hmm. how, how well they can recover and, mm. and kind of um, how the fire helps regeneration. Because not only am I seeing stumps sprouting in areas where trees were killed, but I'm also seeing um, natural regeneration. I'm seeing seedlings popping up, uh, which exciting. is really impressive mm -hmm. because a lot of range of oaks in california we're, we're having trouble finding regeneration and we do get it but then sometimes they don't survive they get to a certain age and then they die huh and so it's what i'm really interested in saying how you know what does this fire do it'd be interesting to see or it'd be interesting some studies on how those new sprouts that are coming up yeah. those new seedlings that are coming up yeah because um, we know that fire is important go. for the system and mm -hmm. so it'd be interesting to see how what kind of recruitment we get um in regeneration we get but it's not the only issue mm -hmm. so it'd be interesting to see like well if we just burn a sand and do nothing else can mm -hmm. it regenerate on its mm -hmm. own so there's it's more complex two things i would just like to finish off with while sure. we're out here one is um you are doing a study here mm -hmm. um right now now I, I think that maybe plays into that that mm -hmm. question that you had so if we yep. could just explain that and then secondly i'd love to just give some consideration many people are in a situation now where they have had wildfire on their land mm -hmm. and they're trying to consider how they mm -hmm respond to that so if we could maybe touch on that as well yeah so um here at the at the center i've um post the fire event last 
last season we put in uh, 45 plots, long-term monitoring plots, where I collected uh, ground cover data as well as tree health data. And we collected data in areas that were kind of stratified, areas that were like where we're standing now, where they're less impacted, whereas fire intent, uh, severity was a lot lower, and um, a lot of the trees seemed to have survived. But we also went higher up on the on the center where it was more intensely burned, and it looked like there was a lot more mortality and more questionable survival. Mm -hmm. So we collect data in all those areas. We also collected data in non-burned areas to compare. And we also have data in areas that have been in, in pastures that have been grazed and biological areas that haven't been grazed, just to kind of look at some of those interactions. So we'll have to revisit with you in a year or so's yeah. time. So this is a long term study. I'd really like mm -hmm. to get back. I'm doing I would like to do a po a one year post survey and then do this through time to see how the regeneration really um, kind of how it lasts. If Excellent. it's lasting, if it survives, how they do. Yeah. Um but you know, just like I said, immediately after we were noticing that a lot of the trees were already that were killed were already resprouting. We saw natural regeneration popping up, and so that was really impressive. That, mm. like, in such a short amount of time, that that started to occur. Mm -hmm. And with these rains, I'm hoping that if there is acorn, viable acorns in the soil, that mm -hmm. we'll see a lot more now this spring right. than before. Yeah. Um, and then we'll look at leaf out to see, you know, how impacted were the trees. The ones that we kind of estimated might have been dead, but we weren't sure. We'll see this year based on how yeah. well they leaf out. How, yeah. How well their canopies look. Uh huh. And so. You know, th there's already a lot of literature in, about recovering from fires, depending on your forest type. You know, if you have any live in a coniferous forest or a mixed hardwood or oak woodland. And uh, there's a lot of resources. So there's a lot of efforts. People are really interested in replanting. Um, and so that's something that, you know, come to come to me or look at the website and, you know, we have that information available. Mm -hmm. But I think the important thing is, is um, Unless it presents a hazard, let the kind of let the forest regenerate, let it do its thing. Mm -hmm. Which it is do. really what I've heard the director yeah. here is intending to do. Is yeah, just see, just what see, just now. let it be. And and if trees present a hazard, you need to get them removed. Mm -hmm. And if you, unless you have trees that you're really interested in, that have high aesthetic value, or, or maybe they have a an important mm -hmm. um, cultural value to you, for the most part, I would just let the forest regenerate on its own. Mm -hmm. Try to help it out by doing a little bit of management, like uh, mm -hmm. you know, seedlings need. Um, if they're sprouting up on their own, they or they really thrive when you reduce competition. So if you have natural regeneration, oak regeneration, weed whack, mow mm -hmm. around, screen it out, help keep mm -hmm. browse from wildlife down, mm -hmm. protect it, let it grow up on its own, but give it a fighting chance. Yeah. But don't go in there heavy handed and cut everything down okay. right away. You want to make sure, you know, some trees might look like they might not be doing well, but they might rebound. You never mm -hmm. know. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a mix. It's really, you got to address the issue and mm -hmm. kind of, Again, I think we have specific. this kind of feeling of like, oh, this terrible thing happened and now we humans have to come in and fix it. Yeah. Whereas actually these forests are so adapted yeah. um, that we want, we, and also what's fascinating to me is how long it takes. Um, you know, you might not be seeing a tree really showing that actually, yeah, I'm still yeah. here for a year or so, right? If you, you know? have an oak woodland that was, that was a stand replacement kind of a fire event that really killed a lot of the trees and it's going to take, several decades before you have canopy again this is not a short term we like to do things in human yeah, lifespans no, right this is like <laughs> maybe the next generation will benefit yeah. again from the canopy it's yeah. going to take a long time for these systems to recover mm -hmm. um but they will be healthier for the most part because they've kind of had this it's like a refresh it's like a restart right mm -hmm. they've kind of been completely we call it a stand replacement event mm -hmm. because it basically you start over mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. start completely over and it gives the, the forest a chance to regenerate mm -hmm. in a different way 
Mike, it's been just absolutely fascinating talking to you and I'm looking forward to revisiting this area in the future and uh, we'll put in at the end of the interview a bit more information. Thanks so much. Thank you. Well, again, thank you so much to Dr. Mike Jones, the UC Cooperative Extension Forestry Advisor, who's spent some time with us this evening to discuss some of the key issues relating to forests in our area. Now, during the interview, Dr. Jones mentioned a few websites which are a useful resource in considering forest management. There are a number of resources available through the University of California Agriculture and Natural Resources Division. If you take a look on their website, you can find um, at ucanr.edu forward slash sites forward slash forestry forward slash wildfire, a number of different resources considering recovery from wildfire and forests and how to manage your forests as well. You can also find at ucanr.edu forward slash sites forward slash fire, the University of California Cooperative Extension Fire in California website, which has lots of resources on um, how we can prepare for wildfire, prescribed fires and wildfire recovery and also lets you know about any events that might be coming up in your area. There's also a tab there that allows you to ask your questions of a UC fire expert. Finally, Dr. Jones mentioned the CALFAR website and if you go to calfar.ca.gov forward slash communications forward slash communications underscore fire safety you can find some of the most useful information to help you plan your home and around your home to be as fire safe as possible. Please remember that if you have any comments about the programme, we'd love to hear from you. You can visit us at our Facebook page at the Hopland Research and Extension Centre or find us on Twitter and Instagram at Hopland Rec. Or you could always send me an email, hbird, H-B-I-R-D, at u-c-a-n-r dot e-d-u. We'd love to hear from you and find out what you'd like to be hearing on the Ecology Hour into the future. This has been a production of KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM, Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. You can check out our website at kzyx.org to find more content like this, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thanks for listening.